pray. Father, thank you for that promise that uh, this earth is not our home. It will be one day when it's renewed and when heaven finally breaks in for the last time into this world and, uh, and there's a new heavens and a new earth. But until that day, we have hope of resurrection, hope of new life to come. Hope that our struggles here, our, um, our difficulties here are not the final word. Father, I'm reminded, and you were there, I'm reminded of, of funerals I've done where we sang those very words and the, the power, the hope that comes from that. I pray that that hope would come through in the words that you've given me for your people here tonight. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Well, again, good to be here with you tonight. In case uh, you haven't met me before or in case I don't look recognizable to you, my name's Eric. Uh, and I'm the pastor here at Epiphany, and uh, I do own a razor, and I used it last week. So um, we are continuing our series tonight in the book of Ecclesiastes after taking a, uh, a little break for the holiday season. And uh, tonight we are looking at a bit of a lengthier passage, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8 through chapter 6, verse 7. The reason we're doing that is because the whole passage really has to do with one subject, and that is the subject of money or wealth. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. It reads like this, verse 8. If you see, or excuse me, uh, starting at verse 10, sorry. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, <clears throat> whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in them in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. 
For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. End of reading. When I first got to the city to plant this church, I would often stop to, uh, to ask strangers the question, where do you find hope? I mean, I wouldn't just go up to people on the street, but I'd be in cafes and things. I've told you this before. And one of the more common answers I received went something like this. Well, I hope I can make a lot of money someday. One name, man named Perkeet said to me, My hope is that eventually I'll make enough money that I'll finally be content. Now, to some degree or another, that's really what an awful lot of people are indeed hoping might just be found with a lot of money. Contentment. And yet, research and experience in our lives show that that indeed is not the case. As a matter of fact, just the opposite takes place. Jim Carrey, in a famous commencement address, said to the people who were graduating, I mean, talk about a downer, he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Backing up Jim Carrey, the musician Moby, at the pinnacle of his career, staying on the top floor of a lavish hotel in Spain next to Madonna and other world-famous people, said he was never more miserable and lonely than at that moment. Even as he had more money than he could possibly ever use, he said all he kept on thinking about was how he could get around the wall on that top floor so that he could jump off of it. So Dak Shepard, the host of Armchair Expert, a podcast that's uh, pretty entertaining, I listen to it from time to time, almost always finds a way to ask the question of his fellow famous or semi-famous guests, uh, how being rich and famous hasn't given them fulfillment at all. He wants them to describe it for him. Nevertheless, we instantly think if we, if we just had a little more, that would sure be nice. For just at least a little more comfort. That maybe with just a little more wealth, we'll be a little bit more satisfied. And there is some truth to that. Like, they, there is for a little bit. There, I mean, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that preacher that's just like, oh, money bad, go away. Money, no. No, no, money, money has its purpose. Money is good. And even you can be wealthy, and it can be good. It just can't. You can't look for it to satisfy. That's not its design. So the preacher says in our passage, when we mistakenly look to it to bring contentment, it's a, it's a fool's errand. So why is wanting more never going to satisfy? That's really what the passage is, is kind of honing in on, like the big idea. Why is the hunger for more never, why is it never going to satisfy even if we get it? Well, first of all, because our appetites are never satisfied. 
Again, verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth is income. This also is vanity. Now remember that the writer of Ecclesiastes is a man who knew great wealth. He had had great wealth, enough to buy anything that his heart could possibly desire. He had it all. Wealth, fame, fortune, you name it. And yet, at the end of the passage, he sums it all up saying, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Case in point, this has to do with food, but it's the same principle. Uh, before Christmas, my boys this year, of course, were begging me for new gaming systems, or begging Santa. Uh, and they, this year, my, they wanted a Nintendo Switch. They were convinced if they got the Nintendo Switch that it would answer all of the deep hunger that had been left there by their Xbox One that they had been given the year before. And what do you think happened after a couple days of playing on the Nintendo Switch? Dead. Can we get a new game? The games we have now are boring. <laughs> Within hours. They were already starting to feel a lack of satisfaction. Leslie Newbigin said, To a starving man, a piece of bread looks like heaven. Once he has eaten it, he realizes it is not. So I asked a second question to that man, Perkeet, after he had told me his hope was that he'd make enough money that he'd finally be content. I said, okay, well, what? let me ask you this. What gives you a sense of hopelessness? If you could narrow down one thing, what gives you a sense of hopelessness? And he thought about it for a moment and then said, I guess realizing no matter how much money I make that it still probably won't make me content. Now I know most of you in this place tonight, to varying degrees or another. Nevertheless, even though I don't know all of you as deeply as I could, I do know some things. Everybody sitting in here has something. They're prone to thinking, if I just have a little more of that, or if I just have some of that at all, then I think I'll probably feel comfortable. For you, it might not be money. It might be a love interest, or it might be a job. It may be an apartment. I mean, whatever you daydream about accomplishing or having, most likely that can easily turn into an idol that you're looking to bring you satisfaction. The preacher says none of it will work. Uh, being that it's playoff time, I guess I have to give a football, football illustration of a guy who I think is playing either right now or later tonight. I'm not sure the order, but Tom Brady in an interview with 60 Minutes a number of years ago uh, said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings? This is a few years back. Now he has five. And still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream. People would say, that they, I mean, there's, you've got it all. And I think there's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be all that it's cracked up to be. So he's going for a sixth this year. 
Nothing wrong with that again. Nothing wrong with that. It's good to pursue greatness. It's good to even pursue wealth. It's fine. Just becomes a problem when you look to it to be what only God can be. The second reason the preacher gives for why more can't satisfy is because it leads to worry. It says in verse 16 of chapter 5, This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness in much vexation. The word is like shaking. Much vexation and sickness and anger. Now he's talking about the person who is stressing out about their fortune, about money. Now I've seen this firsthand. I know I know a lower middle class family who suddenly received a, a large inheritance. And at first, of course, they were dancing in the streets. It was more money than they'd ever dreamt of having. But then there was a change. And they talked about it with me. They said, you know, <laughs> suddenly we were responsible for not only saving this fortune, but also making sure that we spent it wisely, that we didn't blow it irresponsibly. And it stressed them out like you wouldn't believe trying to figure out where to invest the money and how to handle it when they lost something on their investment. That's why you'll often see one of two things happen with lottery winners if you pay attention, which most of the time we don't. Either one, they'll stress out beyond belief trying to figure out how not to spend it foolishly. Or two, they'll spend it very quickly and end up poor again. Not everybody, but it often happens because it feels, I know people, you know, Norm MacDonald, the stand-up comic, uh, lost his money twice, his fortune twice, maybe three times now, but I know twice for sure because he's, got a, he's had a problem with gambling. It's just, I mean, gambling to the point, like that point where you like lose it all. And he said there was never a moment that he felt more free than when he finally lost it. It really is like the great philosopher Christopher Wallace, a.k.a. Notorious B.I.G., said, more money, more problems, you know. But again, the principle of more doesn't just apply to having lots of money, but it applies to everything in life. So you may have gotten the love interest, but now you fret on a daily basis just trying to make sure you're good enough to, to keep him or her. Or you may have gotten that new apartment, worrying constantly about whether your roommates will get along okay. Or you may have gotten the job, but now the worrying starts about whether you're going to be able to make the cut. And so the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes instructs us, because he gets it, he knows, to remember the third problem he addresses in our text about wealth, and that is eventually you will lose it. Eventually, it's a guarantee you will lose it. <laughs> he says in verse 15, as a man came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. There's a famous illustration that preachers love to use that illustrates the point well. I don't like to use it, but I'll say it tonight because y'all are familiar with it. And that is, of course, that, you know, there's never a U-Haul following a hearse. Although the other day I saw on the internet, a while back, I saw on the internet, indeed, a hearse that was towing a U-Haul, but that's a separate issue. <clears throat> There's always the exception, right? 
But you get the idea. You get the idea. Like, hey, one day, no matter what, it's not going to be in your hands. On Twitter, which is the most cynical of the social media websites, I think, there's a handle called simply Daily Death Reminder that just tweets out these words every single day. Hi, you will die someday. End quote. You will die someday. And here's the thing, it's morbid, of course, but this person, whoever it is, or this group operating that Twitter account, has 14,000 followers, and the post is shared many, many times every single day. You will die someday. Why do you think that is? Because there is nothing like that reality to help us put things in perspective, and that's especially true when we're talking about wealth. No matter how much we accumulate here, it is a fact we're all leaving it behind. Whether we be Rockefeller or a peasant from the Middle Ages, they all have the common end of becoming dust before meeting their Lord. Yes, it might be nice to leave it to someone that we care about and that we love. That's a good thing. But even then, there's only so much control we have over how it's going to be used. So the author of Ecclesiastes says, you know what? It stinks and it's tough, but this is the reality you need to live with. The reason that you shouldn't find or even try to find the satisfaction or contentment and wealth is because one day it's, it's, it's gone. Jesus tells a parable to accent that point in Luke chapter 12. Land of a rich man produced very well. and So he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? The point of it all is to realize that any day, it could be gone in a flash. So don't place your hope in wealth. But instead, he says in verse 18, enjoy it in the midst of your toil for what it is. Isn't that nice? To hear the Bible say, I mean, sometimes the way that, that wealth is presented by the church is, you know, it's like something to be avoided. Well, no, no, no. He doesn't say you can avoid it. He doesn't say you have to avoid it. He says you can, you can have money and you can even enjoy it. He says, enjoy it while you have it. Enjoy it in the midst of your toil for what it is. It's a gift. And that leads to the conclusion. How do we learn to enjoy what we have without making it something that we hope to find our ultimate satisfaction in? Well, I think we have to, I think we have to realize again and again and again, always, where it comes from. It comes from the hand of a gracious, giving 
whatever you attain in this life, it is gift. Chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 says, The power to enjoy the wealth, that's a gift of God. Why is it important to remember that? Because it tells us that in order to have freedom to enjoy the wealth we make without looking to it for satisfaction, we need to remember that it's not ours to begin with. We must remember, we must remember it's not ours. It's only ours on loan for a little bit of time. It comes from a good, gracious God who loves to give. He loves to give so much, as a matter of fact, that Jesus says he even showers blessings on the, the just and the unjust, the evil and the righteous. Everybody gets blessings from God because he's just such a giver. He is such a generous and gracious God, as a matter of fact, that he doesn't just give away material blessings to people but he gives away his very life for people as the book of Romans says to justify the ungodly God loves to give even his own self and why does he do that this is the amazing thing because you are his treasure as much of a mess that you are or can be, you are his treasure. Jesus tells a parable about a man searching in a field, and when he comes across a treasure, he sells everything he has to buy that treasure, to buy that field so that he can get the treasure. What's the treasure? Who's the man? The man is Jesus Christ. You are the treasure, and he has indeed sold everything he's got on the cross. He gives his life as a ransom for many. He joyfully gives away everything to have you, Hebrews 12 says. Or as Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? So that you by his poverty might become rich. Do you hear the exchange language there? He gives away everything so that he can buy you back. So what is the true wealth, the true treasure that comes from God that will make these lesser things, cars and computers and jobs and whatever we try to find our contentment in, well, we'll put them in the right perspective? Well, it's recognizing, it's recognizing Jesus as the true treasure. The treasure of his life, death, resurrection, on, and ascension on your behalf. The treasure of his grace and forgiveness. The treasure of his coming again to bring you to the amazing place he has prepared for you. In fact, that is what he will be constantly, we'd be worshiping him for in heaven. We won't care about any of the material things we've had down here when we stand in his presence. The Bible talks about the kingdom of God being filled to the brim with gold streets and things like that. And we won't care at all because we'll be so fixated on the one who has scars that tell us of his eternal love for us. The more we're anchored in that, the more we might be able to just see the kinds of riches we get in this life as just, just that, just gifts temporary from his hand, ultimately to be used for the good of our neighbor and to be enjoyed. But with poise, with a light sense of ownership over it, recognizing whose they are 
to begin with. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the many gifts. I thank you for a car that works. I thank you for clothing that keeps me warm. I thank you for success in careers. I thank you for those who may just be uh, starting to make great money in their life and for those who may not have all that much money but have enough to meet their, have their daily uh, needs met. I thank you because you're faithful to give us what we need. And Father, I pray that whatever it is we're prone to looking to to satisfy us, that you would once again reorient us so that we're anchored in the truth that you are the giver and we are just recipients. So help us as recipients to let things go, knowing that ultimately you're governing, you're leading, you're walking with us in all of our life. I ask this in Jesus' name.